This is the Build Wealth Canada podcast with Cornell Schreiber, session number six, part two. Welcome to the Build Wealth Canada podcast, where it's all about becoming debt-free, accelerating your wealth, and taking control of your money. Now, here's your host, Cornell Schreiber. Hey, it's Cornell, and welcome back to the Build Wealth Canada show. This episode is part two of my interview with freelancing expert Matt Inglot, who is the owner of FreelanceTransformation.com and TiltedPixel.com. And in this show, Matt talks about why you should consider freelancing as a way to earn extra money on the side, and exactly how you can do it if you're just getting started. Now, you can see Matt's recommended list of resources in the show notes at BuildWealthCanada.ca slash six, And with that said, let's dive into part two of the expert interview with Matt. So one one question I had, because you mentioned Fiverr, and I've used them quite a few times. I really uh, liked using them. And it is amazing when you go on there just to see all the different types of services. Services I never would have even thought of would be for sale uh, are on there. So it's it's really a great place to to get some ideas, I think, as well, if if you are thinking of doing freelancing. Uh, But one question I, uh, or stumbling block, I can see some people running across is if, you know, they get these ideas, you know, they see someone on Fiverr and they see some something that they could do as well, that they could do very well. But then it's someone from the Philippines where, you know, they're okay, uh, you know, doing a job for, for $5. Whereas for you, I mean, you can't really, uh, you know, you can't really feed yourself, uh, you know, if you're making that little per project, right? So how how would you go about that stumbling block? Because there is uh, cheaper labor in other countries. How can you differentiate yourself? Uh, you know, because you don't want to compete with someone, for example, in the Philippines. Sure. That's a really great question. And I know that's something people always worry about. And I'm constantly getting asked uh, about this. And this is why I said maybe Fiverr is not the best place to actually post your listing, because it is jobs for $5. And even with all the upsells and everything, uh, the only way you'll make serious money is if you've really got this kind of really good assembly line system. But for almost any service out there, there is a gigantic spectrum of price versus expertise uh, being offered in the market. So, for example, in the case of web development, our websites start at $10,000. And for some people that get in touch with us, that, that is huge sticker shock. Uh, they, it, it's, it's not at all what they were looking for. And... Okay, fair enough. Um, there's companies out there that'll charge several thousand dollars for a reasonable website, uh, and then there's companies that'll that'll offer you a website for five hundred dollars or even ninety nine dollars. There's almost no bottom to this market. Like even if you want a free website, there's there's actually free website builder tools out there. So web development is an example uh, firsthand of you know, a marketplace where there's really, really cheap solutions. Of course, you know, there's people in Philippines, India, wherever else that are just willing to do this stuff for you for peanuts. So you're wondering if these people are willing to do it for, you know, $500 or $300, $100, $1, whatever it may be, um, how on earth do you actually compete with them? And the secret for us has always been is to not compete with them. Uh, what we offer actually ends up uh, being very different than the lower price services offer. And the key thing is basically going up 
on the chain of value that you offer people. So, for example, website development, the way that we've been able to raise our fees substantially several times over our nine years is to completely change our project approach, where if you go to a lower-end website developer, they're basically expecting you to tell them what you want to get built, and they're going to build it for you. So at that point, you're basically just a skilled laborer, right? Uh, the client's kind of the foreman. They're telling you what to do, and you're just kind of moving things around on the screen and coding HTML. And it, you know, if, if that's the only value you have to offer, then it's no surprise that the clients want to find a way to do that in the cheapest way possible. Um, that is not their fault. Uh, what we do instead is we go far and above beyond that, and we actually... Uh, do a lot of a strategic thinking for the client. So in our case, the client comes to us and they have an understanding that they want a website, fine. We start digging deeper right away and we actually, first of all, figure out why they want a new website because there's always a story there every single time. You don't just wake up and say, I'm going to spend a whole bunch of money on a website. Um, it might be that the brand is changing. Uh, it might be that sales have decreased. It might be that they're realizing that they're not actually able to take a advantage of a web effectively in the marketing, but there, there's always some sort of deeper trigger point. And what it usually ends up being, of course, is if you dig deep, dig deep far enough, well, they, they want more sales, they want more leads, um, something, they, they want to move some sort of number up. And what we do is we don't go to them and say, okay, so what do you want us to build? We say, okay, I hear your problem and you know, we've got our nine years of experience and here is what we suggest you do. And we actually come up with a proposal explaining to them um, how they can solve their business problem. And we explain to them what that will mean for their business and what sort of uh, potential cost savings or potential earnings there may be or, or whatever it is that they're trying to solve. So we're not thinking of it in terms of we're going to you know, we're going to make you a pretty website, although, you know, our websites certainly are pretty. We're thinking of it in terms of we're going to solve this business problem for you. And when you phrase it to the client in those terms and you actually help them uh, develop the strategy, because they're, they're not, ex most clients are not experts in web development. Um, so when you, when you can actually put together the strategy for them and help them succeed online, well, suddenly you're offering many, 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 many more times value than the person mm -hmm. that's saying, well, I'm going to make you a web, develop, web design cheap, cheap, cheap. Mm -hmm. uh, so mm -hmm. it's moving up that chain of value that you uh, create. Um, mm -hmm. So the more value you're able to offer, then, of course, uh, the more that you can charge. Now, mm -hmm. that, that's one example of, and, and that's a huge one because the more of the thinking you can take away from the client's shoulders and you can offer it, you can mm -hmm. charge vastly higher amounts. But there's other ways to offer values because now you're probably thinking, well, you know, I'm just getting started in web development and this guy's talking about, you know, strategic thinking. How, how can I possibly do this? Uh, so there's other values that you can offer, other value you can offer above and beyond uh, a lot of these uh, cheaper places. Uh, one is just being a local person. 
Um, that that's a huge one for many businesses mm-hmm. is the ability to actually meet with you, sit down face to face, and talk through things in person. You're, that that's actually automatically valuable in many people's minds. Not all of them, uh, but the ones that are going to use your services, that might be super valuable to them. Uh, another thing is just a higher level of quality control. Um, you know, the reality is the further the the kind of further you get into this outsourcing game, and of course, the cheaper, the the less money you pay, uh, you you kind of get what you pay for, right? So yeah, there's people offering five hundred dollar websites, and let's say you're not ready to build a ten thousand dollar website, but maybe you know you do a really good job on your websites, and you charge two three thousand dollars, fine. Um, that's really good. And I promise you there's a ton of people out there that are looking for higher talent um, because either they have tried the cheaper places and it hasn't worked out for them or mm-hmm. they, they just kind of inherently realize the value of having a more experienced person and they realize the value that you know whatever service you're providing is going to deliver for them. So they're not going to have any trouble paying you more for that. Like, for example, when I look for graphic designers for my business, I don't look for the cheapest because I have a certain standard I want to create for my clients. So I'm actually incredibly picky about graphic designers, programmers, anyone that ends up working for me. And price is pretty low on my criteria list. And same mm-hmm. with anything I'm buying for my business. Um, not that you know I want to spend excessively, um, but I realize that you know I have certain expectations, and I'm very happy to pay as long as those expectations are being met. So if you can create that value for the client, then you're not actually even competing with the people in Philippines, India, Eastern Europe, what China, wherever else you know. Mm-hmm. cheap labor may be because you're actually offering services that they're not even offering. You're creating value that they're not mm-hmm. offering. And there's always going to be people that are going to go and they're going to go with the cheapest option. Guess what? They're not in your target market. Don't worry about those people. Find the people mm-hmm. that recognize the value that you're offering, offer that value, and you're going to find your clients no matter what your price range. Mm-hmm. So basically you become a consultant in a way, you're, you're an advisor to them as opposed to just a general laborer. In the higher just, levels, absolutely. Mm-hmm. In, in the mm-hmm. higher levels. Mm-hmm. You don't have to start there. Like I said, a great way to mm-hmm. deliver value is to just be local or, or just mm-hmm. provide mm-hmm. really good communication. Um, mm-hmm. Being really responsive with clients is actually really key to success in a service business. Um, mm-hmm. And if it's the difference between, you know, they, they got some company that's going to respond to him every two or three days versus, mm-hmm. you know, you're on it within a couple hours, that's creating value, that fast mm-hmm. response time. Or even just, you know, having a really good relationship with them, making them feel at ease, making them feel like they're in a professional's hands, that's creating value. Uh, doing a really good job, taking care of a quality control, not expecting your client to be your you know, first line of testing, that, mm-hmm. that is creating value. Like, can you imagine, like, uh, going to two different transcription services, for example, and one transcription service is cheaper, but what they deliver is full of spelling mistakes and errors and so on. The other mm-hmm. transcription service, not only is everything perfect, correct, grammatically accurate, but they'll even go a step further and they'll kind of massage the transcription a little bit, take get rid of the ums and ahs and kind of fix up the speech. They charge mm-hmm. more, but they're offering way, way, way more value. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the time you would have to spend fixing that because you went with a cheaper service, if you put a dollar value on your time, 
it's possible that that cheaper service actually ends up being more expensive when you consider the, the time you had to then spend to, to fix all the mistakes or the things that they missed. Absolutely. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, for sure, I can definitely um, relate to the whole uh, being willing to pay more for uh, basically local talent. I mean, if if you have, to, I work with some some staff that are basically overseas as well as well as staff that are local, and I mean, it, it's it is a big difference. Uh, the language barrier is, is one thing. I mean, even if you speak their language, uh, that that it, it's not going to be as it, you know, it's never going to be as good as someone that's you know from the same city that you are, for example. Uh, and also, there is something to be said, I think, too, for being able to, you know, go to a coffee shop and meet up with your contractor, let's say, and talk face to face, and they can show you, right? I mean, that's something someone can do if they're hired someone in, in the Philippines or China or India or or whatever. And I mean, I can definitely, from my own experience, I can definitely say. Uh, you know, people are willing to to pay more for that. It's uh, you know to be able to sit down with them, to see them in in person. Uh, you know, it's just it's a whole other ball game, basically. Absolutely. So don't mm-hmm. don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. So Matt, one other thing too is that I mean, we hear a lot about uh, passive income, and and that seems to be at least from my perception, that seems to be in the spotlight a lot more. Is about everybody wanting to to generate passive income, just you know, income on the side so they can sleep, and money just kind of pours into their account. And freelance, I think, is more associated with okay, you actually have to work, you actually have to put in these hours. I mean, I mean, what do you say about that? What do you think? What would you say is sort of the advantages and disadvantages? Of, of focusing on passive income versus freelance income. Sure. So they're very different business models. And let, let's start by actually just explaining maybe to the listeners a little bit about what passive income is, because um, I've actually done both, uh, and I and I do do both. Um, uh, even though my, my my primary livelihood is is my web development company, I do have some passive income on the side as well. Um, and passive income. Uh, kind of a broad definition is really any income where you're earning money, where you're not directly trading time for money. So it's kind of the old example is you wake up in the morning and at night you made money because maybe you have a website with some ads and you get some ad revenues or you get some product sales because you have a product up there and you sell it. Um, or you, or you get royalties from a song that you created, or anything really where you kind of did all the work up front to create this passive income machine, and then you kind of reap the rewards of earning that passive income. And then, of course, for a lot of these kind of supposed passive income systems, a lot of them aren't truly passive. First of all, mm-hmm. you, you have to put in a ton of work up front usually to actually create this passive income system, whatever, whether that's a product or a website or whatever, you know, even investing in stocks. Stocks are a very passive type of income, uh, but you need the capital to invest in the stock market in the first Mm -hmm. place. So they, they all require huge upfront commitments on your part to create it. It's not like you know, you go up, you wake up one day and you decide I'm going to create a passive income stream and with absolutely no knowledge, you're going to have money rolling in. Um, that's called a get mm-hmm. rich quick scheme, actually. Um, that that doesn't work. Uh, and, the, you know, the people that have been able to do that either have 
tried many other things where they didn't get success or they were moderately successful. Once in a while, someone gets lucky, but usually like it does, it does take an entire set of skills to create a product. Uh, to mm-hmm. understand who who is your target market, how do you actually reach out to them, how do you market to them, how do you mm-hmm. properly launch your product, how do you create your product in the first place for that matters because pro- product creation and and I know you know this cornell um yeah product <laughs> creation is a lot of work mm-hmm. just tons mm-hmm. um it, it it always takes more time than you think it will. <laughs> there's always there's always uh, yeah. I, I mean, no matter what, it, it always seems to take a bit longer than you thought for sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it's definitely not easy street. It's not free money. Um, you're you're pouring your heart and soul into this thing. And the other thing is, there's usually a lot more risk associated with it. It's really hard to lose with freelancing because as long as you can find some clients, and if you just do the things that we teach at freelancing freelancetransformation.com, you will get clients. Um, there, there's no real risk. Uh, or even if you don't mm-hmm. get clients, you, you've spent only a little bit of your time in this. Mm-hmm. You can build a product. I have built, actually, I built one product uh, for two years. This was back in high school. I, I honestly had no idea what I was doing. But it turns out I was kind of, the, I, I fit a very stereotypical mold of kind of this creator who is really good at creating things but doesn't know anything about business. So they go into their workshop and they tinker and they tinker and they tinker. Two years pass by and they're like, oh, well, now I got to market my mousetrap. In my case, I wrote a software program. I spent kind of two years, obviously part-time, working in the evenings and so on on it, but I did devote a ton of effort into it uh, while in high school. Um, And it sold a little bit, but it it never really became anything that would have been worth the amount of work that I had put into it. And a big part of that was I just, I had no idea how to first find a market, find, find people with a problem and actually solve that problem for them and then how to reach out to them. I hadn't done any of that. I was just like, I'm going to build this cool widget because I think it's cool. That's a terrible way to start a business and product. Um, mm-hmm. So there's there's some risk involved there, right? That was two years that I spent, even though it was part-time, and then I had nothing to show for it. Whereas if you're doing any sort of work on contract, you know, as long as you find that client and you get that check from them, then it's pretty foolproof, right? So if you're looking to earn money now, um, it's really good for that. If you're lo- mm-hmm. if you're looking to create a certain lifestyle, uh, freelancing is really good for that because again, you, you can do that pretty quickly and pretty immediately. Um, mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with passive income or creating products or anything like that as well. It's very cool, uh, but it can take longer. Uh, it is risky, uh, and no, no, nothing says you have to do one or the other, right? Some people may never want to create a product or may never want to do this or that because it's it's just not their thing, uh, mm-hmm. and we have to recognize that. Uh, but other people may want to make a product one day, but this is not the life stage for them. Right mm-hmm. now, they're, you know, if you're sitting there in your office and you really don't like your job, and you'd rather be doing, you know, A, B, or C, like doing mm-hmm. some other kind of work. Um, Freelancing is a great way to get out of that environment uh, without mm-hmm. pulling the Ned Flanders leftorium thing, where <laughs> you take your family <laughs> savings and you run with it, so to speak, and you have nothing mm-hmm. to show for it in the end. Because I have mm-hmm. seen that happen so many times. If you are going to start a passive income business of any kind, you have to recognize it's going to be a lot of work up front. 
uh, there is a lot of learning curve you're going to have to go through and the stakes mm. are going to be a little bit higher um, because if you don't do your homework in the upfront, then you can invest in a lot of a lot of time into something that's basically going to be dead in the water. Um, mm-hmm. So very different business models. Both are excellent. I have done both. It's just you really have to ask yourself the hard questions in life. What is it that I'm actually hoping to do right now and hoping to achieve? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it sounds like with freelancing, it's it almost it's you make it sound like it's a better way to get your feet wet in the whole entrepreneurial game, essentially. If if it's something that you always were wondering about having your own business or having money on the side. It, it just it seems like a good way at least to start because you can start up much quicker. It's a lot less expensive. It's a lot less risky, and so it, and then you can always after that create your own uh, like your own product and create some passive income that way, right? We've both seen quite a few people do it that way too, where they're they might offer some high end, high price coaching services, let's say, but then they also have a book that they sell on Amazon or they have some sort of product that they created, and so in that case they're they're kind of they're hitting both ends. They have the, they're getting the passive income from the products they created, but at the same time, they're also a freelancer in a way because they are getting that income uh, by also working with clients one-on-one. Absolutely. And mm. products might even become a part of your service business. For example, mm-hmm. we sell website hosting as part of what we do. That part of mm-hmm. the business, it's a recurring revenue stream. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just we maintain the service of servers obviously and make sure we provide an excellent service um, but hosting's really a product um, and it's got a product type of business model associated with it where it can scale very well we don't have to put tons and tons of time into every new hosting client that we put in it's we put a fixed amount of effort into creating really really awesome hosting and then we can keep selling and selling and selling it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's that's a yeah. product aspect to our business model. And that's great too because I mean if you're if you have a client, you're freelancing, you've worked with them one on one, you guys probably have a good relationship. So now when you do have a product that you would like to sell them, I mean you're not cold calling them anymore, right? You just call them and, and they already know you and they trust you and they know that you provide a high quality product and so they're much more likely to buy your you know your second product, your third product, your fourth product, right? It's uh it, and also I think it's also great cuz then you can talk to them and you can get their feedback as to what sort of products are they looking for, what are the things that they're struggling with and you can see if you can create a product that helps fit that need. So uh, it, it's also yeah, a really good way, I think, if you start with freelancing to get into the customer's head and, and then that can help you create uh, products afterwards to generate a passive income on top of your freelance income. Well, sure. That's that's true for a lot of consultants, coaches, that kind of thing. You mm-hmm. have the opportunity to really learn your the needs of your target market by working one-on-one with them. like. What better way to really understand your market? And that might eventually evolve into, okay, well, I understand what my market needs and I feel like I can help a lot more people now if I also publish a book or mm-hmm. offer some sort of product. You're, you're absolutely right. So again, these business models don't have to be mutually exclusive. One's not necessarily better than the other. It's a matter of what it is that you're trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay, great. So, so I mean, if someone is now thinking, okay, well, let's let's maybe try this freelancing um, business. Let's try something here. Where would they? Where would you suggest that they try to find buyers? What are some good some good places? Sure. Uh, so 
there are a lot of opportunities out there. It, it does depend a little bit on the service you're selling. So whatever I say, someone's always going to find an exception to it. So my first advice is go where your target market is, um, wherever that might be. Uh, but now some specific ideas. Uh, when I built up my business, again, it was strictly networking. I would just go to events where my potential customers might be, and I just made sure I introduced myself to a ton of people. And it's so old school in this day of the internet where, you know, we have Twitter and Facebook and email funnels and all of these crazy online strategies. But the good old face-to-face, -face, talk to people, meet people, use your network, ask for introductions, um, just, you know, just good old-fashioned one-on-one hustle, um, that works tremendously for so many different types of services. So do not be afraid to do that. Um, if, you, if that's something you don't want to do or you, you want to try several strategies, uh, obviously there are a lot of opportunities online. Uh, and where you, where you promote yourself and to who you promote yourself does depend a lot on the type of service you provide and also the type of price range and extensiveness of that service that you provide. So when you're first kind of dipping your toes in the water, it's really nothing wrong with trying Craigslist, Kijiji for kind of odd job kind of requests. For a lot of freelancing gigs uh, in terms of programming, graphic design, virtual assistance, and what have you, even copywriting, I think, uh, there's a site called elance.com and a site called odesk.com. It's actually one company that owns both now, I think. Uh, and basically, it's just this global marketplace for people offering services. Now, you will find on those sites that there are a lot of people in countries with a lower cost of living that are offering their services cheaper. Um, and that may be kind of frustrating, but again, these are not the best sites. Once you kind of got your toes in the water, um, it's just a great place to start. And there are people on those sites still that are looking for people that are offering a higher value service. Um, and you, you can still find those types of people. It's just a little bit harder. Uh, if you start working your way up, that's where you kind of have to get a little more creative. Uh, there are some higher end sites for kind of higher end uh, uh, people but they're a little bit harder to find. There's a couple good ones for graphic designers, for example, but that's where the marketplace starts really niching down. So instead, what you might want to do is you might want to actually, you might want to start a website for yourself. Uh, and one thing that we found works really well for us is Google AdWords for the online thing. Um, because with Google AdWords is you can actually target people who are looking for your specific service. Now, if you target anyone in the world looking for your service of AdWords, that's incredibly competitive and it's going to be hard to do well. Um, but what we found in most markets, uh, when you go down to the local level, so for example, of Tilted Pixel, we don't target people looking for websites with our AdWords. We target people who are looking for websites in Waterloo or Toronto or so on. And those marketplaces aren't as crowded and aren't as difficult to compete in. So you can actually get leads that way. And I mentioned this tactic because that's a, that's a fairly generic one, as long as you're willing to work with people locally. Um, now, that's another decision you kind of are going to have to make. 
I, I don't say you have to make this right away because, again, the first thing is just find clients and see if you like doing this. But somebody you're going to have to decide, well, do I want to work with local clients at all or do I want to build a completely remote business? Uh, I have a friend who uh, specifically doesn't take on local clients uh, because he then has the freedom that all of his client relationships are remote and that allows him to travel anywhere, anytime without actually changing the nature of a client relationship. Um, so you, you do have to make these strategic decisions. Uh, I find generally uh, if you are going to target local people, uh, again, networking is just so key. Uh, don't feel like you have to create some sort of crazy online strategy to do this. And if you are looking for people online, nothing wrong with starting with some of these websites that are basically online marketplaces for what you offer. And as you kind of start going up the value chain, that's where you start kind of finding other strategies for getting leads. But the big thing for any freelance business um, any service business really is referrals. So once you start establishing yourself, once you get a few clients, some of these clients are going to be able to refer other people to you. And there's actual things you can do. And we cover some of this on freelance transformation. Uh, there's things you can do uh, to help you get those referrals and to make sure that people are referring people to you. And that actually ends up being a huge source of business, uh, whether you know you are running kind of a local operation or more of a remote operation. Because when you think about it, when you look for a professional service provider, how often do you blindly type something in Google versus how often do you ask your friends? I know for a fact, like if I have an opportunity to ask my friends, uh, who are in the know about this kind of stuff, um, then I would always choose to ask my friends for a personal recommendation before I would go out into the internet and hope the person I choose is big. So once you kind of establish yourself, then you know you, you really want to focus on the referral aspect as well, and people really forget this. <laughs> yeah, so it's not like they have to be cold calling for ages and trying to get all these new clients that way. I mean, you really... To start, you really just need a few clients, just a, like, a, like a, a couple clients, right? And then you make sure that they're happy with everything, and then you try to get them to recommend you to their to their friends, and just basically grow your grow your business from there. Absolutely. And now, mm-hmm. this this what I'm about to say is really advanced. So if you're listening to this, you don't have a freelance business right now. Um, I'm not saying you have to do this right away because this is more targeting people who have already at least given this a try and kind of want to take their freelance business to the next level. Um, But a really good strategy um, is to actually accept less clients, but find clients that are ideal for your services and find clients who are going to be able to supply recurring work to you. So, Imagine how much work it takes to find a client, to meet with them, to put together a proposal and hope that you get the sale. Um, Once you go through all that effort and you actually get a client and you've put in all the effort as well to build that relationship, you want that relationship to exist for as long as possible. So if you get that client and it's a week-long project and then it's done, that's not nearly as lucrative, obviously, as if you can get a few clients on your client roster that are just going to work with you for the long haul. Because at that point, um, 
you're not really actively seeking new clients. At that point, you can just kind of pick and choose them as they come. Once in a while, you'll get a high quality referral and you'll make time in your schedule for that client, but you won't always be in that. There's this thing called the feast and famine cycle uh, where you either have too much work or not enough. And that's a uh, really common problem in any sort of consulting or services um, because work work comes in kind of sporadically like you take on a client and you have an amazing two weeks you get a really good rate but then it might take another four weeks to find the next client right so two (laughs) weeks you've been earning great money four weeks you're earning no money Um, (laughs) and this is where recurring services is a much more stable way of offering your services because that client's going to keep giving you work over and over and over again Mm-hmm. And suddenly you're not going to have to worry, wake up tomorrow and think, shoot, now I got to find more clients. Now I got to find more clients. Now I got to find more clients. Mm-hmm. So to the more advanced students uh, that I talk with, I actually uh, really suggest taking on less clients. I- I'm very mm-hmm. much about less is actually more mm-hmm. in this business. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a lot easier to maintain a relationship that you already have than it is to try to build a brand new one from scratch. Yeah, exactly. And it's mm-hmm. easier to maintain 10 relationships than it is to maintain mm-hmm. 100. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Now that, that's, really, that's really good advice, Matt. Uh, now, for, for the other potential freelancers out there, are there any sort of common mistakes that you see freelancers, uh, new freelancers make over and over again that you <laughs> like to warn them about, make sure that they avoid? Oh, but there's so many. Uh, <laughs> I know that the podcast is getting pretty long already, but maybe well, that's okay. maybe just, yeah. <laughs> but maybe just uh, yeah, maybe just some of the big ones that you think can really uh, yeah can really help people out. Yeah, for sure. Uh, okay, so I- I'll give you a couple really big ones. Uh, the first one, a lot of people, and and I've made all of these by the way, and I've made so many more, but. Uh, a big one is simply undervaluing your services. So if you're someone that does actually have a skill that you're experienced in, you've been at this for a while, uh, maybe this is something that you kind of learned in your day job or whatever it may be, uh, and you find all of you, all of his great talent that just completely misprices themselves in the market because basically a fundamental lack of confidence uh, why on earth, and it goes back to a discussion we were having before. Why would someone pay you five hundred or pay you ten thousand for a web, dollars for a website when someone else is offering website development for five hundred dollars? Well, let me tell you, if you actually have really good skill, that that itself is high value. The low cost providers can't do that. Um, some some people just don't have the confidence though, and they say, well. You know, how can I charge $100 an hour or even $75 an hour or whatever it may be when there's people out there offering this stuff for $25, $30 an hour? Um, so don't, don't underprice your services. It does probably mean maybe looking elsewhere to find these clients and not in some of these online marketplaces where it's a race to the bottom. But even in those online marketplaces, there are some small percentage of customers on there that are willing to pay higher higher dollar. It's just not the best place to look. Uh, another common mistake is we, we've been using the word... you got to count how many times we've used the word freelance on this podcast. For now. <laughs> I, I want you to do that. I want you to put it in the show notes. Um, 
<laughs> because <laughs> here's why that's important. Um, never actually brand yourself as a freelancer. Um, and part of like I, I came up with the name freelance transformation um, and the transformation part of that name is really important because we actually want to transform your business and help you kind of transform away from having that freelancer mindset into really ha- like being a provider of high value uh, services. Don't call yourself a freelancer. Uh, come up with a company name for yourself instead. In most places, it's really, really cheap to register like a business name, basically. That doesn't mean you're creating a corporation or anything. You're just kind of doing business as something else. Um, the moment you label yourself as a freelancer, or if you're not going to call, call yourself a company, then call yourself a consultant. Call yourself anything other than a freelancer, because the moment you name yourself a freelancer, you've basically just cut your rate in half, because it's all about uh, perception and when people think freelancer, they pay, they picture this guy working from home or girl, of course. They picture you working from home in your pajamas, and they they don't really picture you necessarily as serious. This they picture this as kind of a side thing that you do. Whereas the moment you brand yourself as a company or as a consultant or whatever it may be, people automatically expect to pay more from a consultant or a company. That's just how it is because suddenly it's a very different perception. It's not someone goofing off. It's someone that's being like a serious professional provider of a service. Um, And just by doing that, you can probably double your rates if you've been calling yourself a freelancer all this time. So Mm -hmm. that is really huge. Don't uh, don't, uh, portray yourself as someone doing this on the side. Don't, never lie to people, um, but you, you never want to diminish yourself either. It doesn't matter that you're doing it on the side. You are, you are a professional. You're offering a professional service for a reasonable rate, whatever that rate may be, and you, know, you expect that you know, if this is the market rate, this is what people will pay. Don't devalue yourself because you're doing this on the side. Uh, so that that is really huge. Uh, another big lesson, we talked about this already a little bit, but I just want to reiterate it a little bit uh, and, and kind of add something to that, is you, you really, once you really get this going, if you're not just starting out, because when you're starting out, just, just do things, learn from them. But once you've kind of established yourself a little bit, you actually want to be really selective in the types of clients that you take on. So you don't want to just take on anyone that comes in through the door. Uh, you, you, As much as the client is evaluating you, you want to evaluate them and you want to see if they're going to be a good fit for your business. So what makes a good client? Well, one thing that we did discuss was the recurring thing. Uh, if someone is likely to become a recurring client, then that is a good job. Uh, that's someone that you're interested in. Uh, it's got to be a client that is willing to pay your quoted rate. Uh, if you take on someone that just absolutely insists on a discount, it's okay for someone to ask you if you know if there's there's any wiggle room. Some business owners that that's just one of their questions. Um, but always say no. You know these are our prices. You know they're fair for the value that we actually create for you. Um, and if you hire us, then you know it's gonna the value we create for you is gonna be far in excess of what you pay us. Um, but if someone's just just a real like insisting on a discount and kind of berating you a little bit for your rates, turn that person down 
don't don't let them destroy your confidence. Don't let them destroy your rates because that type of client is also going to be a type of client that's most likely to be extremely high maintenance, um, which kind of it's weird, but it's absolutely true. The clients that pay you less end up being the higher maintenance clients. If free clients are the worst. If you've ever tried to give away anything for free, you're, you're going to get the most you know, support. You're going to get the most upset people. Um, it's because, and, and it's really your fault, because by discounting your services, what you're actually doing is you're signaling to them that it's actually a really low-value service. Um, so you're actually diminishing your own value. Um, so it's actually not their fault. It, it's your fault. Um, so, so don't take on people like that. Uh, another signal of a really good client, it, it might not be a recurring client, but it could be a job that it propels you above what you're currently doing. Basically, mm-hmm. it, it's kind of like a self-promotion uh, kind of thing where, where you, you're kind of promoting yourself in the world of you know whatever you're doing. So it could be a client that's a big name or it could just be a really substantial project, something that's much bigger than what you've ever worked on. By all means, pursue that. Uh, because mm-hmm. that that could basically be a stepping stone once you have it in your portfolio uh, to mm-hmm. actually go and find other clients like that. So that client, that one client, can end up being a really big deal for finding other similar clients. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so when you're done with them, you get their testimonial. You get try to get a video testimonial. You try to make them really happy so they could be a referral as well, right? In the in the future, uh, when when future clients uh, are calling to see if they're if you're good enough, right? Things like that. Exactly. Because part of it is mm-hmm. building your portfolio or your references if it's not really kind of a portfolio-oriented uh, business. Uh, so mm-hmm. if you're able to show these are the types of clients we've worked for, this is the type of work that we've done, you're naturally it's easier to find more of that type of work. And that's another reason to be really picky about your clients. And that's another one of my own personal criteria is when I assess whether we're going to take on a project, I do think to myself, is this something we're going to be proud to show in our portfolio? And mm-hmm. if the answer is no, for whatever reason, uh, the project's too small, that's why we have a 10,000 minimum or again, they're asking us to discount things or cut corners or do anything that I feel is going to hurt the integrity of the finished product. Those kind of projects are never going to make it in my portfolio. I'm never going to show them off. So mm-hmm. immediately if I take on that type of client, I'm losing that portfolio entry. And those entries are precious. Your, your portfolio is really important. And that's another reason to be really selective about the type of clients that you take on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then Matt, you, you mentioned the... Uh a price a few times and, and what to charge a client. Can you speak a little bit uh, to that in terms of how do you determine what you should actually charge a client? Well, you know, obviously, it depends on you know what kind of work you're doing and how much experience you have, but what are some good spots to uh, to learn what a fair rate would be? Sure, that's a great question. Uh, and you'd be surprised how many people don't do that research. And that goes back to the confidence thing. The answer to this question is very, very simple. If you're starting out, the easiest thing to do is to look at what other people offering the same quality of service, the same type of service, are charging. So not people that you know do two steps lower in quality or they claim to do something, but it's, it's kind of pretty obvious that, you know, they're, they're obviously got to be cutting some corners if they're charging the rate that they're charging. You know, don't compare yourself to those people. Compare yourself to other professionals on the same playing field that you are, on the same level that you are, and look at what they're charging. 
uh, and then charge that. And if you're not sure how, how much to charge, I mean, you you get in touch with some of these people, maybe people that aren't in your market, who aren't going to be your direct competitors, um, but who still do the same thing you do. Take them out for a coffee um, and just find out a little bit about this type of business. It's not just about finding out like how much you should charge, but they're going to be able to bestow a whole other level of knowledge to you. Um, so certain uh, pr- uh, professional services actually have their various associations, like graphic design has its own uh, associations, for example, uh, and joining those associations and uh, reading their literature and their guidelines is helpful. That's a great wor- way to network with people. Um, if you're on a certain playing field and with a lot of uh, freelance type of business, you're really not competing with everyone else. Like it'd be crazy for me to say that every web development company out there is my competitor. That that that, that is just nuts. That that's really really short-sighted thinking. Uh, most of the people that are going to go to me are not going to talk to every other competitor out there, right? They're going to talk to maybe mm. two or three other companies. And I know the names that I'm usually competing against. I have a very good idea who's out there, who's actually going for the same clients that I am. Um, but with most web developers, I mean, we're not even in the same market. Um, and even some of them that were in the same market, I have really good relationships with. Um, because, you know, sometimes I might send clients their way for whatever reason. They're they're not the right fit. They might send clients to me. It, it doesn't have to be like this whole crazy cutthroat world because you're not actually competing with everyone. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. feel free to learn from your peers and learn what they're doing and network with them and actually uh, learn what the people that you kind of want to emulate and who you feel are on the level you want to be at. Um, feel free to approach them. Uh, conferences are another good thing for networking within your peer group as well. Uh, that's different than going to a conference to try to find leads. This is going to a conference to actually uh, build your connections within the industry itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that that's great, but that's really uh, valuable, and I can see a lot of. Uh even people who haven't really considered freelancing before, I could see this being something that, uh, well, everyone should at least consider uh, unless they're absolutely in love with their job and kind of want to be doing it for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, no, so thanks a lot for sharing that. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about where they can, uh, where our listeners can learn more from you? Uh, what are sort of the next steps that they should take? Uh, you tell us a bit about freelance transformation Sure, absolutely. Uh, so the online business I'm running is, in addition to my web development company, is called Freelance Transformation. So if you're interested in freelancing at all, or if you're already a freelancer and you're interested in increasing your rates, maybe even doubling your rates, uh, then this is definitely the website for you because I've basically been sharing my nine years of experience of doing some things right, doing some things wrong, and kind of really actually working out what what works, what doesn't. Um, and I've been sharing all of that. And the web address for that is freelancetransformation.com. Uh, so check it out. Uh, I, it's just started, so it's growing pretty rapidly. Uh, and this is the site you want to check out if you're really hoping to... Uh, 
build not not just any type of freelancing business, but build the type of freelancing business that actually offers you the lifestyle that it promises. So yeah, that includes, of course, earning reasonable money or even really good money. Uh, but also it means like, or living the type of life you want, uh, which for most of us doesn't mean just sitting and working day in, day out and doing nothing else. Like I like to think I actually live a pretty rich life. I have other hobbies, other interests. Um, I feel like my life and work, for the most part, are very balanced, uh, whereas that that doesn't happen automatically. It happens because you, you've put in the effort um, to structure your business a certain way. So again, freelancetransformation.com. Uh, Feel free to check it out. Uh, if you're interested in my web development company itself, we're Tilted Pixel. That's tiltedpixel.com. Uh, again, we build higher-end uh, websites, and that is actually uh, the business that I run. All right, that's great. Well, thanks so much, and we'll have all those links and, and ways people can get in touch with you on the show notes as well. And uh, yeah, thanks thanks a lot for coming and for sharing your knowledge with us. No problem. Uh, thanks for having me on, Cornell. I, I do really love what you've been doing with Build Wealth Canada. Uh, I've loved some of the uh, initial podcasts that you've kind of come out with, and I really look forward to uh, seeing a lot more from you, buddy. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Matt. All right, take care. <laughs> all right, take care. Bye. All right, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Matt Inglot. Like I said before, you can see all of the resources that Matt recommends and find out more about Matt and, and get some different tips from him by connecting with him by going to the show notes at buildwealthcanada.ca slash six. So just the number six. And if you enjoyed this podcast, of course, I'll definitely appreciate if you could go to iTunes and give it a positive review. It'll definitely help with securing more guests like Matt. Also, check out buildwealthcanada.ca where you can sign up to also get the latest expert interviews like this as they get released. And of course, I do still have that bonus for you that if you sign up to get the updates on the latest interviews, I will send you the top five personal finance and productivity tools PDF guide, which are basically all the free tools that I actually personally use to help me manage my money, increase my productivity, and help me make the right financial choices when it comes to investments and paying off debt and retirement. So these are all tools that I use. They're all free, and I just basically put them in this guide for you, and I think you can get a lot of value from them and give them a shot. All right, so I will see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Build Wealth Canada podcast at www.buildwealthcanada.ca.